Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcheson. As always, my co-host, Adam Simon, is here. Adam, hello. Hello. Uh, and this week, we are on episode 101. And we thought, what better way to celebrate episode 101 than doing a 101 on our innovation framework that we have here at the IPG Media Lab called the 99-1. So stick around for that. That's going to be our main conversation. And we've whipped up something a little special to uh, make it super fun and engaging. But before we get into that, as we do, Adam, we got to talk about this week's news. And I want to start off with a follow-up from a story that we talked about last week, and that is with Apple, Hyundai, and Kia. I think we learned why we don't talk about rumors, <laughs> as reportedly the conversations between those two companies have officially broken down. Yeah, I mean, Hyundai basically put out a press release saying, we're not working with Apple anymore or something. It's actually like, it's unclear what the status, the true status is. It could be that they were just forced to do this uh -huh. by Apple. Um, because as anybody who has ever read an article about Apple should know, <laughs> you, you uh, companies that uh, are suppliers for Apple, uh, you know, Apple has a very, you know, tight uh hold on them and they they do not want them talking publicly about something before apple has announced it so uh no surprise that this was retracted or you know denied but i don't think that that necessarily means the deal is off it's possible that they totally screwed this up by talking <laughs> about it publicly and apple's like no screw you guys we, we're never going to work with you you just shot yourself in the foot um but it's also possible that this is just more pr spin and that we don't really know totally well yeah so we'll keep our eyes on that story and uh we'll make sure to keep our listeners updated on that because that's a very interesting development in the world of apple products next up we have some news from unreal engine and i think we're all pretty excited about this. Uh, Unreal Engine has debuted MetaHuman Creator for creating realistic digital humans uh, within Unreal Engine. Um, so this is pretty interesting. Again, I think this plays well into our conversation about you know gaming uh, eating the world in the sense that we're going to see more and more of this gaming technology be integrated into the infrastructure of how uh, products and even advertisements are made going forward. And I think this is one of those products that we could see a lot of application into the media and marketing and you know, kind of brand ecosystem. Yeah, we talk about how uh, Unreal is building a set of tools to make digital versions of people, places and things. Uh, and this is a big step in the people direction. They had they had obviously been doing this internally, when we see um, the like the Travis Scott live event, and we've seen other real people represented as avatars in Fortnite, they've obviously been doing that. This is a huge step forward. It's it is a huge step almost across the uncanny valley in terms of how good these things look. If you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend that you 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 search you find the video and, and watch it because they look incredibly realistic. Uh, and it's not you can still the eyes are still not one hundred percent perfect, but it's it's crazy how realistic they look. I think the the an important thing to consider here is that. Right now, it's a sort of a tool where you can make them in your own in a web browser. You can just sort of make make it make a, 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 a meta human. Um, but I think that it is uh, it can also be tied to uh, things like motion capture um, and other tools that plug into Unreal for animation. So you can imagine how in the future, this might not just be about making these sort of uh, CGI people, but you might have a version of yourself that can be used in, let's say, a, a VR space or something like that, where you're going to appear 
completely lifelike and that it can actually use cameras and sensors to capture your facial expressions and things like that. I actually think that is one of the most exciting applications of this technology is like telepresence, but with that, it's not video. It's just, uh, it's, it's a 3d rendering of your, your body. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm sure it will, it will tweak it to make you look slightly more attractive as everybody would probably want. That would be smart of them to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and so this is super interesting too, because all of these like kind of like digital twins from a personal perspective, right? Like we know that there are companies that are building essentially deep fakes of your voice that then you can use to create content and make that process easier. So it's becoming very easy for individuals to essentially make a digital version of themselves that looks like them, talks like them, acts like them, has the same mannerisms. And that to me is super interesting, as we know, forward thinking to like the metaverse, but a lot of this technology to me from a brand perspective is going to be rooted in how creative is built going forward. We talk to brands a lot about creating and making available 3D assets uh, versions of their products. Um, and I think that sometimes people's heads jump to something that is more cartoony and more like, or like yep. Fortnite, right? Like Fortnite looks great, but it has a very distinct visual style that is more cartoony than real life. These metahumans right. are very realistic. So I think that there is a range there and some products may be depending on your audience, you want them to be a little more cartoony in how they're represented in a, in a 3D space. But the technology is there and not uh, not outrageously expensive or, or challenging or difficult to implement to make them photorealistic. Uh, and I think that that is, uh, you know, now that we also will have photorealistic people, um, I, Scott, I know you're excited about the idea of using these for synthetic uh, influencers. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I hope Christina is listening. <laughs> synthetic influencers are coming back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that you sure I, that will probably happen in the short term. Um, but I think the, the long term is, uh, you know, this idea of representing yourself in uh, digital spaces and immersive spaces, uh, photorealistically. And I think you raise a good point about the deep fakes. Like we can, we can make deep fakes of people's voices. We can now, uh, re replicate someone in this metahuman creator, uh, in, in almost photorealistic, uh, 3d space. Uh, what is that going to do to all of our perceptions of what is real <laughs> uh, and what is oh, true. We are, we are going on a, a, a weird skew down the uncanny valley. Yep. The one thing I've noticed that a lot of these companies do have a ethics code that is on their front page that is like, like they are starting with like a ethics first approach to how all this stuff is content or how all these digital twins are created and all these defects are created. So that's a, a good positive sign that like they're thinking about that. But um, I believe we're going to see a lot of unintended consequences so we'll keep our eyes on that, uh, but I want to move into our next bit of news here. From TikTok, uh, TikTok has finally uh, briefed advertisers on their new online shopping tools. So reportedly, they're going to be having the ability for influencers to share product links and earn commissions uh, off of those uh, product links that are in their, in their bios, as well as a live shopping stream feature. Uh, that is also reportedly being planned. So we're starting to finally see some more, you know, hard details around what TikTok is thinking when it comes to their shopping features and integrating social commerce more broadly into their platform. Yeah, I mean, they're really bringing over these tools uh, that are already in market in in China in their the equivalent of Dalian. Um, so you know, this is just sort of spreading the the tools into new places. It's incredibly popular uh, in, in China. So I think, um, you know, culturally, the US hasn't been as uh, invested in um, 
certainly live stream shopping has not really been a thing here yet. Right. Uh, TikTok might be the thing that makes it a thing here in the U.S. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and uh, it really, you know, the U.S. may be catching up to China for, with some of the, the social shopping that we've been seeing there. Um, the other interesting thing that's happening is because of the changes that are being made around data access and privacy controls and and attribution um, that, that Apple is about to roll out, we're actually seeing a lot of investment um, in moving these storefronts into social apps. So Shopify is... Uh, really investing and doubling down on their their partnership with Facebook and Instagram, um, in mm-hmm. bringing actually Facebook. I don't know how this deal happened, but Facebook is actually allowing them to bring their their own Shopify payments, uh, Shop Pay, into into wow. Facebook um, to use as a checkout tool. But that's part of a larger push because of the, the the tracking changes that Apple is about to roll out. It's going to be harder to attribute uh, things like clicking on an ad in. Facebook and then going out to a website to to a Shopify site to purchase something. So Shopify, everybody knows this is happening. They're doubling down on the the in-platform uh, conversion. So you're not actually leaving Facebook. Mm-hmm. So the tracking never leaves the Facebook app or the Instagram app. Um, so this is, I think TikTok is coming along with these features at exactly the right time where we're going to see a major push um, through the rest of this year, I would say, with uh, shopping on platform in social networks rather than linking out to uh, to merchants. Um, super, mm-hmm. It'll be super interesting to see what Amazon's response to all of this is. Uh, we talk about them all the time. They should be better at some of this stuff than they actually are. <laughs> uh, so, you know, looking at Amazon and Walmart and what they, they do in the space. I know Walmart has similar... Um, agreements as, as Shopify with with Facebook, uh, but they haven't mm-hmm. been nearly as prominent. So, you know, uh, something to keep an eye on. I think it's going to be a big year for, right. for uh, social commerce. Absolutely. I am interested just thinking about how these platforms like work is that a lot of them are creator forward and creator focused, especially on TikTok. And so how does that kind of start to change essentially like, like what, what a storefront is on these social platforms, it could stick with a brand's page. But to me, it seems like that that might not be the best fit. Yes. And TikTok's implementation is very influencer focused as opposed to brand focused. So um, I think that, you know, that that makes sense for Instagram and TikTok. I think it's a little less clear how how that would work on Facebook, for example. Right. So we'll be keeping our eyes on that. uh, As again, social commerce is a very hot topic uh, for us here at the at the lab. And speaking of influencers, uh, there's really no bigger influencer right now than Elon Musk. And so uh, from Tesla, it looks like they have officially put $1.5 billion of Bitcoin onto the Tesla balance sheet, which has sent Bitcoin to a record high. Um, (laughs) I'm not surprised Elon was the one that put Bitcoin on a balance sheet. Um, But this is the first of any i guess more like official recognition of bitcoin like like what does all this mean uh, it, <laughs> i'm still trying to wrap my head around it he's also pump, <laughs> pumping dogecoin like yeah um, what does all this it, mean it is uh i think it's actually it it, it means a lot of things uh, on one hand it is very similar to what we were talking about a few, couple weeks ago with wall street bets uh and and gamestop in that this is one of those things that was elon knew that doing this would raise the the value of bitcoin and make it worth even more so it's it's literally like he could have done this and then immediately exited and made a profit right like it's uh he didn't do that it is going to stay there um i think 
that's part of the story. Uh, and, and just the idea that, um, you know, Elon Musk has been pumping up Bitcoin and Dogecoin and like, you know, he can do that. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not regulated. Technically market yeah. manipulation. <laughs> it's not regulated. Um, and yeah, and, and the cryptocurrencies aren't really regulated that way. Um, uh, so, okay. Um, it's also, I think it, there is a legitimate reason to do it in that it is a hedge against, um, you know, what happens if, uh, the U S slides into, uh, a recession, mm -hmm. this, you know, Bitcoin, one of the reasons that people are talking about now of, of investing in cryptocurrency is to hedge against any global economy, any national economy, um, sort of sliding into a recession and devaluing their currency. The idea is that Bitcoin or Dogecoin would keep going up. Will it depends on a lot of other factors. <laughs> um, but it is a, it is a, you know, it's a diversification hedge mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, the other thing is that there's no, like, it doesn't make sense to keep money uh, to 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 keep money in U.S. dollars right now because the interest rate is so low. So people are either putting it into stocks or putting it into cryptocurrencies, basically, uh, or you know, in, in other cases, real estate or art or something else. Something that 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 is a little more reliable and is going to grow um, while the interest rate in the U.S. is so low. Right. Um, and then lastly, the last weird angle to this <laughs> is uh, that this is this purchase conflicts directly with Tesla's. And Elon Musk's stated environmental goals, uh, because cryptocurrency mining is uh, uses a ton of energy mm. and is not great for the environment. It, it does this by design. It's built into the design to have an environmental impact, basically, because that's one of the things that limits your ability to just make more Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't think anybody anybody would ever say that Elon Musk is consistent all the time in his <laughs> messaging. Um, so it's not surprising, but I think, you know, people should be, interviewers, journalists should be asking right. him about that. Like how how does he reconcile those two things? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I, I just do want to more clearly state that this is probably the most official use case of a Bitcoin purchase. Like I haven't, I mean, outside of the Silk World way back in the day when Bitcoin was being traded for you know drugs essentially like have we really seen any other real world acceptance of bitcoin for a product no not for anything as, as sizable right. as, a, as a car so it's so, it'll be first you know but it, it's it is a it's mixed messages he's sending there because everybody and i'm sure elon would agree with this everybody knows that bitcoin is basically a commodity it's not really going to be a currency mm -hmm. that people will use to buy things for the most part so saying that you're going to accept bitcoin for teslas it's like well okay but that's not really what it's for it, it would be like saying well we will also accept gold bricks for tesla <laughs> uh, which you know i you could if you wanted to <laughs> or barrels of oil like, uh, like you could but that would be barrels of oil is probably the better way right? <laughs> the environmental impact is baked into the transaction a lot of news this week you know uh, from all <laughs> spectrums from you know metahumans to social commerce to uh cryptocurrency on a uh company's balance sheet uh this week really had it all but with that uh we're going to wrap up the news section and head into our main conversation to discuss uh, a little 101 on the labs integration framework the 991 All right, listeners, welcome to the main conversation of this week's episode, the 991101. So Adam and I will be 
going head-to-head in a competition to explain the top innovation territories we're most frequently asked about from our brands. And Adam, before we get into this heated competition, which I am super excited about, do you just want to give our listeners a little bit of a 101 on our innovation framework here and how exactly we use the 99-1? Yeah, so um, we track about 30 different categories and we sometimes add some every year and sometimes some of them graduate out of innovation into more mainstream categories. Um, So there's around 30 every year and we track them based on their reach. So how many consumers can you reach with them? How many people are actively using Mm -hmm. them? How many people are even aware of them for some of the more, uh, more newer, more emerging ones. And then also their maturity, which refers to how suitable are they for brands? So, um, you know, is there a turnkey way to activate on in this channel or is, is it all custom? Is there um, are there ways to measure thing measure results? Are there established KPIs, mm-hmm. or do we have to invent them? Uh, things like that. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that one hundred and one. And it wouldn't be a competition, Adam, if we didn't have a referee. So I want to welcome to the show Ryan Miller as our ninety nine one one hundred and one MC. So Ryan, welcome to Floor Nine. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to engaging in some witty repartee and uh, <laughs> making sure those on guards and touches are all within the legal boundaries. So let's have a fair fight, gentlemen. <laughs> Excellent. I, I am excited. Well, uh, with all of our players introduced, Ryan, do you want to give us the rules and kick this thing off? Sure. So what I'm going to ask you gentlemen to do is to take me through each of these innovation territories that we've outlined here as part of our 99-1 and give me a succinct summary or 101 of what each of those territories entails. Um, I'm going to be passing them along back and forth between the two of you and assigning points for whether or not you are able to successfully define it within that 30 second time limit. So gentlemen, I hope you're ready. I am terrified. You should be. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan is a harsh judge. (laughs) Let's dive into it. Let's just see how it goes. All right. So first up, Adam, I'm tossing this one over to you. Coming from the 90 section of our 99.1 framework, we're going to dive in here to culture pops. Can you please explain that territory within 30 seconds for me? So culture pops is when there is a a trend or a moment that percolates is percolating in a more niche community and then breaks out into the broader culture uh, and has sort of a a, a cultural moment. Uh, I, the most recent example that we've seen of this is uh, I think GameStop and Wall Street Bets uh, and how that's that entire. Uh, saga dominated the news cycle for a good week. Um, and, uh, but you know, I think that's one example, but we see this over and over again. Another thing that's ha- where this is happening right now is clubhouse. We saw this a couple years ago with something like HQ trivia and brands, if they're in the right place at the right time can ride these waves and really sort of make a, a large cultural impact uh, as these things become, uh, become larger and more, more mainstream. A little bit loquacious, uh, just 15 seconds over, but I will Uh, say the definition was uh, quite succinct and uh, concise, and I think it delivered a lot of insight, especially giving that GameStop example. Scott, do you have anything to in retort to that? No, I think his example of GameStop and uh, Wall Street Bets is literally the prime example of what we talk about, a culture pop. It's hard to define, hard to see coming, but when it's here, it's everywhere, and prepping or understanding how you could be prepped for those types of moments to activate quickly is very important for brands to be thinking about to take advantage of these essentially like these just like pops in culture. 
Way to, way to use the word in the definition. Thank you. So anyway, that's a very clear point for Adam, despite the going over the time limit there. I think the example was incredibly relevant and the definition right to the point. So Scott, in hopes of evening up the score here, can you please define for me super bundles? Is it just limited to OTT? Is it elsewhere? All right, super bundles. Uh, very succinctly, super bundles is the idea of bundling together different types of media and services into a singular uh, offering. So the best example here is what Amazon has done with Amazon Prime, where you subscribe you subscribe to be a Prime member. And with that, you get different media services like Amazon Music. You get two-day delivery. You get discounts at Whole Foods. They're just packaging together all these different products and services into a single uh, subscription that it becomes your bundle that offers you greater benefits as a consumer. Look at that. 30 seconds right on the dot. And you even managed to give a relevant example outside of the content industry. So bonus points for that. All right. Adam, anything else that you want to add to this super bundle description here for our listeners to uh, know about? No, I mean, I just think, you know, Amazon is the classic example, but we are starting to see this uh, rise up from... uh, from companies like Apple, uh, we see Disney waiting in the wings who might uh, start to pull something similar. So, uh, yeah, this is, I think there's going to be ample opportunity for brands to get involved with these in the near future. So, moving right along here, Adam, we're coming up on category number three, which is connected home. And one of the things I would love for you to kind of explain for me as we dive into this 101 is how does connected home differ from voice? Connected home is uh, can include voice devices, and I think that certainly can be part of it. Um, but it also includes all of those sort of IoT smart home devices, uh, as well as uh, things that are connected to programs like the Amazon Dash replenishment service. And DRS is really something that I think is important for brands to recognize because it enables uh, items in our home like printers and air purifiers and dog food uh, dispensers <laughs> to reorder and replenish their own supplies. And I think that that's going to be huge uh, in the future for brands. All right, Adam, again, a little bit over the time limit, but uh... <laughs> it's, it's hard to deliver that cutting insight that you need in 30 seconds. But our brands need those fast hits of information and we're committed to getting it to them. <laughs> But anyway, outside of that realm, I think that was an incredibly apt description. Scott, do you have anything to add to the voice differentiation? Uh, the, The biggest differentiation is voice is a factor within the connected home. It's like a tool that can be used to power the connected home. That's how I differentiate. So, you know, connected home, we're talking about automation and devices talking to one another. And that kind of brings us into our next territory that I would love for you, Scott, to kind of delve into a little bit. Wearables. Is it just watches? Is it glasses? What is ultimately defining that sector today? And what should brands and marketers know about it? Absolutely. So wearables, uh, as the category states, are pieces of technology that you wear on your body in some way, shape, or form. It could be a watch. It could be AirPods. There is a future-focused optionality of smart glasses. Basically, what this comes down to is that there are new brand opportunities uh, to reach and engage our consumers across these disintermediated parts of the smartphone that are being produced into wearables, whether that's from the watch to the AirPods to you know fitness trackers. Uh, all of them are kind of uh, taking the smartphone and focus on on a singular product uh, that could be available for brands to think about and improve their product and engage with consumers. Adam, what's your best bet in the world of wearables? Where do you think we're going next in terms of the development of this technology? Yeah, I think wearables have been, you know, largely focused on health and wellness for a long time. And I think they will 
continue to cover that. But I think increasingly there, there will be a media focus there and that will open up new opportunities for brands. I think we're seeing that start with, with AirPods and uh, things like MarsBot from Foursquare. Uh, I think glasses are on the horizon. And certainly once you have a display uh, in front of people's eyes, uh, there's ample opportunity to, uh, to reach them in new and creative ways. Excellent. So connected home, wearables, none of these things would be possible if we didn't have next-gen networks to enable the interconnectivity between Ooh. them. Adam, I know about 5G. I've been hearing about it for like five years, it seems now. But what are some of the other ones that are these next-gen networks? Please enlighten me. So this covers 5G, but also things like Wi-Fi 6E, as well as Ooh. new and emerging standards, things like uh, ultra-wideband uh, in newer Apple devices, things like the sidewalk network that Amazon is pushing uh, that will eventually provide a mesh network for home devices as well as devices in public. Uh, and these are really just going to enable connectivity across pretty much every device uh, in our in our homes, things that maybe never even used to have uh, be be electric might start to be uh, come with a network connection in the future. Right on the 30 second mark and bonus points for making me feel like I've never heard a tech conversation in my entire life. <laughs> Scott, do you have anything to add there? Any like options that are going to be enabled by these new types of networks for brands, for marketers? Well, I'm actually, Ryan, a recent consumer of the NextGen networks. I oh, have really? the Starry 5G internet connection, uh, 200 up, 200 down. It's quite fiery. Though I, I hope I to get back to you on the overall use case of this and how it's improving my lifestyle. I would say the biggest thing here is transferring large files has gotten a lot easier, which has improved my workflow process from an editing standpoint. So that's a, the most tangible example I have of how a 5G internet connection and that connectivity is impacting uh, my workflow, which is pretty, pretty exciting. That, uh, and it no longer takes 45 minutes to up, up, upload a wave file. That's what I'm talking about. You're getting that award-winning podcast content and you want a faster production <laughs> in the timeline. So uh, thank you, 5G, for that. Time is money, Ryan. Time, time is money. All right, Scott. So uh, Adam's been doing pretty well in the description point and is uh, racking up the points rapidly here. The only thing that's uh, keeping him within competition striking distance is that he's going over on his time limit. So let's see if you can uh, even up the scores here. Um, we're going to be diving into something that I think a lot of people have preconceived notions about but are not too familiar with the actual implications are and that's blockchain so i know it's a digital ledger Ooh. but <laughs> what else does that entail a lot of confusion is what else like the blockchain entails and it probably entails me losing this game so the blockchain in 30 seconds well basically the blockchain is a immutable ledger that is distributed across multiple different nodes so individuals can essentially verify documents or transactions with each other to make sure x y and z transaction was actually correct that is the baseline of what the blockchain is give or take adam's shaking his head but we'll take it as we're going for 30 <laughs> seconds here that's now, pretty for, good <laughs> <laughs> for an advertising standpoint like the the actual use cases are limited right now. The biggest conversation is around whether or not we can use the blockchain to actually verify ad placements and where they ran. And so the biggest issue today is at the speed at which those transactions are verified. The blockchain takes about like seven days to verify a transaction. It might be three. My math is off. Right now, Google double click uh, or double, double verify their big programmatic arm. They can do like 100 million ad serves in like a second. So there's some 
there's some disconnection between the the speed at which the blockchain the blockchain can serve and verify versus the actual volume and speed at which we need it today. How'd I do? <laughs> take a take a breath. I put the stopwatch down for that one because I figured you might need a little bit longer for than 30 seconds. But thank you for stripping down some of that jargon. Adam, you care to add any more layman's terms to that to help <laughs> our viewers understand at the 101 level? Oh, uh, blockchain is really complicated. Um even just using the words that actually are the right words, like ledger and node, doesn't that doesn't mean a thing <laughs> anything to a lot of people. But it is correct. Um, it's distributed. It's something. It, it's it's blockchain technology lets you decentralize something that was previously centralized. That can be money with Bitcoin. That can be. Uh, uh, that can be trust, uh, that can be, it, it can help you create, um, sort of digital things that are unique in the world, um, as we are seeing happening in, in the art space and, and with, uh, with non-fungible tokens. Uh, so there's a lot of blockchain is an enabling technology, much like oh. 5g that, uh, it isn't necessarily about, uh, the, you know, the underlying tech itself, but it's about what you can build on top of it. And it helps you make unique things in the digital realm. Well said. And I'd just like to add that, Scott, it doesn't help your score if you agree and ooh at your opponent's <laughs> points every time. So. Listen, so, I, don't six, have a, I don't have a competitive bone in my body. So, <laughs> uh, so six categories down, gentlemen. We've made through four in the nine sector, one in the 90, and blockchain was our first in the one. Uh, I want to take it back into the nine here with connected communities. And Adam, you just a word that really resonated me with me in your last description, and that was decentralization. We keep talking about the retreat from public forums and these more niche sub-communities popping up in the digital ecosystem. So Scott, care to talk to me a little bit more? Oh, I'm sorry. Adam, it's your turn. Please tell me a little bit more about connected communities, where they're popping up, what they are, how do you define them? So this is the idea that, as you said, we are Consumers are increasingly retreating from the big public squares online, like your main Facebook feed or your main Twitter feed, into these more niche communities. Um, sometimes those happen on the same platforms, like in Facebook groups. Sometimes they're new platforms, like on Reddit, which is designed for this from the ground up. Um, and they just allow for different levels of uh, community building and content moderation, different community styles of, of communication. Uh, and um, they can be the seeds of things like culture pops, uh, where uh, stuff can break out of these communities and become more mainstream as well. 30 on the dot and interweaving several territories in there as well. Scott, do you have an example of your favorite connected community on the web? Or are there any that you're a part of or aspire to be part of? I think right now, some of my favorite ones are in Slack communities. Um, there are a few different podcasting communities that I'm a part of where I've essentially grow, learn, and met podcasters, ways in which I can improve my podcasting, hosting, editing, growth, marketing for it. Um, and I think that to me is like the true power of these different communities. I look at all this from like an education standpoint, um, meeting people, expanding your network and just growing and learning is all powered through these types of connected communities. This was, you know, one angle I, I take to it, um, I call it my, you know, my internet MBA. I love it. I feel like I've uh, taken quite a few courses myself via YouTube. Yeah. So, but just to sprinkle a little bit of partnerships dust on this conversation as well, I think in terms of connected communities, we've seen a lot of different partners and companies come into the fold. Countable community itself, which is the 10-digit SMS mm -hmm. partner, as well as uh, Discord, which is primarily a gaming communication platform, actually recently acquired Zyper, which is intended for brands. So I think we're seeing a lot of appetite from marketers to get into this space and have those more 
pointed conversations with the consumers that care yeah, about the them. biggest question is will we see a chief community officer rise to the c-suite mm, interesting maybe, maybe not so i have another one for you this one is also in the digital world but potentially a little bit more immersive than the other connected communities that we were talking about the metaverse what is on the horizon in that regard? Does it only exist in VR, Scott? Care to elaborate a little further? So the metaverse, we've talked about this a lot. There's a podcast actually that you can go listen to for the full description. But in 30 seconds here, the root of the metaverse is essentially it's virtual environments uh, mainly focused in or around gaming or built from gaming technology where individuals, brands, uh, and people go to live, play, and eventually work done 15 seconds i love it adam as the chief uh, expert at the lab on metaverses and you've written quite a few pieces on this uh care to add anything to scott's very succinct definition no i think it's great i think you know the point is that uh, it's going to take us a long time to get there but it will over in the next you know decade or so more and more of our time will start to be subsumed into these uh, 3d immersive spaces uh, and uh, that's the real takeaway for brands is that they will start to replace some of the stuff we do on the 2D web. Uh, and, uh, you know, time to time to fire up your metahuman uh, creator and uh, jump in. <laughs> so, gentlemen, we've got two categories left. We've got one in the one sector and one in the nine. Next one up is for you, Adam. I would love to know more about machine learning and how it's being leveraged in different industries. So machine learning is um, really just a fancy name for algorithms that improve themselves over time uh, and that take sort of the feedback uh, to improve themselves. Um, and it can be used in lots of different ways. It's used in things like the algorithms that shape our, our social media feeds and our uh, streaming video app feeds. It also can be used in advertising to automatically optimize creative uh, in dynamic creative or, or just to optimize targeting uh, as, as we see how things perform, feed that back into the system and make it better. Love it. Scott, anything to add? He nailed it right up front. It's algorithms, improving algorithms through algorithms. That's machine learning. And this is probably a one-on-one -on -one level question I think some of our listeners might have. Is is machine learning AI? <laughs> yes. Somebody said this. I, I don't remember who said this, but uh, somebody once said that everything is artificial intelligence until we know how to do it, and then it's just uh, an algorithm. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> Very interesting. All right, gentlemen, just breeze past the penultimate, which brings us to the finale. We had uh, originally had two categories slated here, so I'm going to pull one out of here for your choosing. And I think I would love to go with digital health, since in the year of 2020, I think that was probably the most focused on industry. Scott, from an advertising marketing perspective, are there brand implications in the digital health space? Or is this more a trend that we're focusing on for the technology of it? It's a great question, Ryan. Uh, to first define the space, and then I'll answer your question, because I believe that's how the game works. Um, excuse me, that's a yellow card for sassing the question. <laughs> so please, no more. Well, to define digital health, uh, very succinctly here, it's that it, it's, it's this idea that consumers are starting to track all parts of their health from you know little things like their steps uh, to their heart rate to their prescriptions all digitally and then taking essentially that tracking and turning that more into an idea of like how can this 
help uh, with proactive healthcare, essentially. That's like the end goal of all of this. Can we get all this information together so that way we're proactively thinking about keeping ourselves healthy versus reactively um, you know, treating ourselves like we do today? And so that, that's the overall, I think, end goal of digital health. The, the brand opportunities for, for digital health today are, are limited. I think we're still seeing them be developed because with health data, that's the most sensitive data that is out there. And so there's a very high threshold of trust that needs to be established before a brand can access that data and then make a product with it or some sort of advertisement or whatever it might be. I, I think that your original definition was great. I think what is tricky in discussing something like this is trying to consider where a brand does play in and how they leverage this technology as part of their marketing strategy. Adam, I know this is something that we see on the CES floor quite often in terms of innovation. Were there any technologies that you were excited about in particular in the digital health realm, or is there anything that you're looking forward to in this space? I'm really interested in uh uh, software therapeutics, which is uh, software that uh, is prescribed by your doctor to help you with sometimes a mental health issue, but also sometimes, uh, you know, things like physical therapy and, uh, you know, being able mobility and things like that. That's super interesting to me. Some of it is powered by machine learning. Um, and I think that there's, it's interesting that we're crossing over into software being something that can come with a prescription. The other thing that I would say is that it seems tricky to, you know, for brands, if you just say digital health, like, you know, brands that are not health related don't necessarily want to get in, uh, in the room with you and your doctor. But as health has expanded and become more democratized in terms of putting health and wellness in the hands of the consumer, it's also become more consumerized. And I think that that opens the door for lots of other brands to dip their toe in the space. And especially as we've seen over over the past year in quarantine, a lot of brands have really figured out ways to help you have a more comfortable, more relaxed, less anxiety-inducing uh, <laughs> experience in, in quarantine during, during a global pandemic. Uh, and I think that that is something that will continue into the future as brands try to figure out healthy ways that they can align with, uh, with their consumers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the only other question I would have is uh, a software is a prescription. Where do I download it into my body? Well, that's what the Neuralink is for. And Elon's working on that. It'll, mm. it'll kind of come through your brain. Coming soon on the you know 202 edition of Floor 9. Putting my referee back hat back on here, uh, after reviewing the scorecard, I think that it's pretty clear to announce the winner here as our listeners. They got some amazing educational content today <laughs> from two brilliant lab members. So thank you both for evaluating our 99.1 territories and giving us such succinct definitions on what we need to know from a brand and marketing perspective. Wow. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> Bravo, Ryan. M. Night Shyamalan wrote this podcast. <laughs> we, we, and we wonder why the audience yeah. likes him so much. <laughs> right? Well, I guess we'll never know, Adam. Till next time uh <laughs> when we duel here on the battleground that is the audio waves of of floor nine well listeners uh thank you so much for listening this was just 10 of the territories that we cover so if you're looking to learn more about these territories or how the lab actually uses the 99.1 as our framework uh feel free to reach out to myself or adam or anybody at the lab uh, we're happy to walk you through and get you smart on that process Thank you, everybody. Uh, Adam, I'm so happy we tied. <laughs> and we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye.